Um, so good to see you here. Let me just get um, organized. I kind of want to almost ask you why you're here or why you think you're here or what you want to get out of the next hour, but hopefully what I've prepared and what I share will be helpful um, to you. In some ways, this is the emphasis that we've been trying to share um, or I've been trying to share through my role um, over the past few years around discipleship and um, what it is, what it looks like, and, uh, and that's what we'll do. And it'll be a, probably a couple of spaces for us to chat or at least reflect on our own or, or chat with people beside us as we go through this next hour. So won't all just be listening to me. I want to bring you back to 2006 in my life. 2006 was an important year for me. It was the year I graduated from university with a, uh, with a theology degree and entered the world of paid Christian ministry um, with Scripture Union. And for the first, I guess for the past few years of my life at that point, my life had been immersed in study at a, at a, Christi- at a Bible college, um, serving in my local church, enthusiastically serving, regularly serving in my local church, speaking at various youth groups when I was asked to do that, and leading um, some summer, lots of summer mission teams and mission um, opportunities and camps and all that type of thing. And I guess if I'm honest, as a 21-year-old then, when I thought about serving God, those were the things that were in my mind. That's the picture that I had in my mind. If you'd have said, how are you serving God right now, Rick? I would have answered by telling you some of those different things. And I was serving God in those ways. But three things happened to me in and around 2006 that began to shake, I guess, shake my thinking and shape my thinking about what it, me- what it means and what it meant to follow Jesus and serve Jesus. The first was in a church gathering. Uh, and I was listening to a lady being interviewed at the front of church she was speaking about her recent move into full-time Christian service. She went on in the course of the interview to say what that service was. She was now working for a large Christian organization. She'd been working, as she said, in the secular world for the past number of years. And her role in the past was, sorry, where she was serving now, she was now the PA to the general director of that large Christian organization. And she was talking enthusiastically about the role that she had, about the godly environment that she was now in, about the opportunity to pray with her colleagues once a week. She also talked about the job that she'd left behind. And she was talking about how for the past 15 years of her life, she had worked in a similar role to this. She had been the PA to a chief executive in a large corporation in the same city. And she talked about how she was so glad to leave that behind as she had felt for some time that she could be more useful to God somewhere else. That was the first thing. And as I listened to her, I began to think, or it got me thinking, or it began to ask a question, in what role was she more of a missionary? In what role was she serving God more In what role was she more of a disciple? Because as I heard her admit that she was speaking at church, at the front of church for the first time, and doing it very well, I might add, I also began to wonder, why? Why was this the moment that she was sharing at the front of church for the very first time? Her roles were going to be quite similar. PA to a general director or chief executive. She was going to be serving the organization that she was working for. Why were we only hearing about her work now? The second thing was that for the final two years of university, I worked for a day a week and in holiday times much more often in a large warehouse, um, lifting boxes and packing lorries. It was a fairly male-dominated workplace and uh, mostly with workers who were much older than me. And, And I worked there along with my Christian friend. Um, There was lots of time for conversation because we worked in pairs um, for the whole of the day to pack and stack. And then there was coffee breaks, numerous coffee breaks actually, and lunch breaks. And those were pretty lively conversations in the staff canteen. All sorts of reading material were passed around. And I got lots and lots of questions, mostly by older men, about the nature of my relationship with my girlfriend at the time. And uh, I found it a pretty tough environment, if I'm honest, to be as a young Christian. 
And I can remember on several occasions walking through that warehouse thinking, how on earth does my faith make a difference here? How on earth does my faith make a difference here? And I'd received lots of training and lots of seminars on how to give a talk, on how to teach a memory verse to children, on how to lead a small group to open the Bible. I have to say, all that training has been helpful to me. None of it was helpful for those moments spent in that warehouse. The final occurrence happened in January 2006 when I traveled to Nashville for a week um, to attend a large conference gathering for thousands of, of Christian students in America. The conference was called Passion, and on the final morning, there was a talk given by the organizer of that conference and that movement called Louis Giglio. And the talk was called Passion, Purpose, and Designer Genes. And I think up until that point, as I've maybe already hinted at, I, I equated serving God with something I did in church on summer teams and in youth camps. And in this talk, Louis unpacked Colossians chapter 3, and in particular, he focused on verse 17 and 23, actually. But verse 17 talks about doing whatever we do for the glory of God. And, use, and he used this talk and this passage to challenge the notion of the common divide that we often have between the sacred and the secular. And my eyes became open, fully awake that morning, to the idea that God could and wanted to use me in every area of my life. In the youth group I was leading, and in the football team I was playing in, on the mission trip I was planning to go on that summer, and the factory floor that I would be in next Monday morning. And it left me asking, after hearing that talk, how do I do whatever I do in my life in a way that glorifies God? I later read this from Louis Giglio. He says, chances are, I wonder if this is you, chances are we've all been there, stuck in a job day after day, asking, what is the purpose of my life? Is this all there is? God has uniquely gifted us with a passion, he writes. Though each of our passions are different, each of them have been specifically fitted for us by God. Among us all are incredible business people, artists, athletes, perhaps, uh, scientists, mums, dads, chefs, accountants, the list is endless. There's something specific in each of us that makes us come alive. That's our passion. Then accompanying every passion, he writes, there is a purpose. God's purpose is to make Jesus famous. So whatever we do or wherever we go, we find that God is inviting us to leverage our passions for one greater purpose. God's will isn't that you figure out the right thing to do. God's will is that you figure out the right person to know. Those were three things that happened in my life or were kind of com combining in my life around the same time. And it set me on a journey to try to explore what it would look like to equip people to follow Jesus wherever they were. And, and it's led me to doing the role that I'm currently doing, which is trying to help churches to think about how they are equipping people for their, their, for their whole life of discipleship. Not just the hour or two or ten that they may spend in a church-gathered environment that week, but how those disciples are being equipped to be following Jesus in their everyday lives. A couple of other quotes. Uh, I guess I would try to define discipleship as the process of, of figuring out who we're meant to be in the place that God has, in the places that God has called us to be. Um, and I love it's put much better, but um, Dallas Willard wrote that discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. And Neil Hudson from LACC describes discipleship as equipping people to follow Jesus in the here and now. So this morning I would love, I guess, to lead you in thinking, what is your here and now? What is your here and now? What is your daily life? Where do you find yourself? I think it's worth considering what it looks like to be an everyday disciple, but also to try to bust some myths and bust some myths that sometimes maybe in the church we have replicated at times. In a brilliant book 
called Where's God on Monday, Alistair McKenzie writes this, if we are to see the true significance of all work we do, we simply must deal with the dualism that dominates our view of the Christian life. It's simply not biblical, he writes, and so is counterproductive to our aim of seeing God at work at the world, in the world, in this world of his. It is only as we learn to work with God, learning to see what we do is connected with what he is doing, that we will close the false gap between secular and sacred. When I was growing up, um, sorry, secular and spiritual, he writes, and when I was growing up, my mum and dad used to sing in various churches. And uh, as, a, as a young child, my sister and I used to trot along in the car with, uh, around the country with them. To be honest, we loved it. There was always these tray bakes at the end of the event, and we were excited. So they were pretty much these gospel singers who arrived and were invited to sing uh, two or three songs at church but occasionally we went to church services and you know mum and dad sang these you know amazing songs um, spiritual songs and occasionally they were allowed to sorry occasionally they were invited to go to other Christian concerts they weren't on Sundays they were usually in church halls Friday or Saturday night and what used to happen was that the first half of those evenings were given over to secular songs, so they were allowed to sing other songs that didn't talk about Jesus. And I don't know whether that they found that liberating or scary, but they were allowed, they were given freedom to do that. And then the second half, after some of those tray bakes, the second half, they had to, or were asked to sing some sacred songs, songs about Jesus. Now, I'm sure those concerts were brilliant. Okay. I, I'm sure they had lots of many benefits. But right from an early age in my life, I was beginning to be conditioned with this idea that there was a sacred thing and a secular bit. And if you talked about Jesus or if you sang about Jesus, then this is the sacred bit. And if you don't mention Jesus and you talk about other things, I don't know, things we enjoy or I don't know what those songs really <laughs> included, uh, to be honest, but there is, the, you know, that's, that's the secular bit. I think there's some myths that we need to maybe bust in the church. Some of him, I'll just fly through some. Only some Christians are called to serve God full time. I know most of us probably don't necessarily believe that. But sometimes in our practice in the church, we can somehow reinforce that. Only some Christians are called to serve God full time. So think back to our friend, my friend. I didn't know her. She wasn't my friend. But the lady who was speaking at the very start, she was speaking in the church, at the front of church for the first time. Why? because she just started working for a Christian organization, doing a similar job than she'd been doing before. Why were we only hearing from her at that point? And God isn't vitally interested in every aspect of her life. It's a myth, okay? I think we're getting better at that. You know, phrases like 24-7 and whole life, things like that have come into our language. A myth that serving God means giving up your leisure time to help out in the church. And I believe in the local church, I believe it's a plan A of God. I believe we should all be committed to serving our church community. But sometimes, and I think Rosaria hinted at this last night, that our lives are consumed in that, that we actually miss opportunities to connect with people and to serve God in all areas of our lives. Ordained Christians are more significant in the kingdom of God, perhaps is a, a myth. And um, the purpose of Sundays is to escape what's going on in the world. You know how many times have you heard, you know, you come into church and let's just leave all our baggage at the door. Well, no, actually, let's bring our baggage to Jesus because I think he's something to say about that. You know, let's forget about the worries of the, the, the working world and let's forget about the worries of your week and let's just focus on Jesus. Well, actually, what if Jesus wants to say some things about the worries of your week and what's going on in your working world? And lastly, the only stories worth hearing are dramatic. And we'll talk in a few minutes about ordinary. Okay. The only stories worth hearing are dramatic or from Christian workers. And I suppose I've hinted that. Um, contrast this with some of these verses from the Bible. Peterson's translation of Romans 12. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. I've never heard a sermon about sleep. Is it important to God? I haven't heard, I have heard sermons about work, but not huge amount. I haven't heard that many sermons about how we can serve God in our world of sport. If If that's you, or in the world of music. 
How are we equipping people to think about those parts of their lives, placing it before God as an offering? Let your light shine, Jesus says, where? Where did he want our light to shine? Before others, before men, some translations, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Where does Jesus want our lives to shine before others, in the presence of others that they would see? And then that that would lead them to glorify God. And then this, these verses that I've mentioned before from Paul writing to the church in, in Colossae, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human workers. Um, some years ago, I came across this helpful graphic, and you may have seen it. If you've heard me speak in the last few years, you may well have seen it, um, that I think probably encapsulates everything that I'm sharing, and I think you'll you'll much quicker remember these images than, than what I say today. The first image is a picture of maybe how many of us view the church or have viewed the church. Um, these uh, graphics aren't mine. They've come from the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, Neil Hudson and Mark Green. And uh, the first image is perhaps how many of us view the church or have viewed the church over the years. You know, we're small in number, aren't we? You know, maybe even smaller than we once were. And at times we can feel pushed back into the corner the corner of society, and we're desperately trying to hang on and shine our light in the corner, and we're desperately trying to hold on to our, um, to hold on to who we are, and at times trying to draw others to us as well. That's not a wrong image of the church, by the way. That's an image of the church. But this second image is another way of viewing the church too. It has the same number of red dots in the graphic but this time they're scattered among the gray. Individuals in all different walks of life, among people in the midst of their workplaces, sports clubs and neighborhoods, meeting people in the shops, on the bus and at the school gate. If I was to ask you where your church was, I wonder what your answer might be. Where's your church? BT what? Where, where would you point me towards? You see, I wonder if most of us would probably answer, and, and, and I would do the same, we might, our answer might describe where our church gathers on a Sunday, where that location is. But where is your church today, for example? Your church today will probably be in offices and in homes and in shops and in coffee shops and in sports teams and community centers and even Christian conferences, perhaps. Okay, Your church today might be walking beside a confused teenager or teaching a lonely child. That's next month. Your church might be helping to feed a homeless man or caring for a broken woman. And suddenly, this for me is a real picture of discipleship, of where we place our feet. And even as well, mission becomes more possible to me as well as we become less concerned, perhaps, that people aren't always coming to us in the same number, but that we might be awakened to the possibility of reaching people where they are. And I think discipleship takes on a different dimension as we begin to think about the very real circumstances and situations in my life or in your life, and seeking to discover what does God's Word have to say to us as we go about our work, use our leisure, and live in our neighborhoods. Suddenly it matters how we live as disciples as well. It really matters because we're encountering some gray dots beside us. Work becomes an opportunity to serve and worship God. Full-time Christian ministry expands to include the daily interactions we have, the conversations we have, and the examples we set. And perhaps maybe at times you've used the excuse, God can't use me, I'm just a fill in the blank. There's no I'm just in the kingdom of God. There's no I'm just in the kingdom of God. If that's been your excuse, then please think again. God desires to use you exactly where you are. Integrating somehow your faith into all the little and the big tasks of your week through everyday acts. God uses secretaries and he uses lawyers. He uses mums and dads He uses musicians and medics as ambassadors for his kingdom. I'm going to get you to reflect on this 
in, in a moment. In fact, one more quote um, from Alan Scott. And he writes that much of modern discipleship has focused on making believers strong enough to survive the culture instead of bold enough to transform the culture. That's powerful. Now, in some ways, it's powerful and it's idealistic, okay? Um, But what would it look like that as we disciple people in our churches or as we are discipled and walk in our and this journey of, uh, of discipleship, that we are considering and reflecting and being shaped to think about how we won't just hold on to our faith when we're in the midst of the gray dots, but actually how we are helping to be a transformative presence in those environments. So I want you to listen to a short video, and then I'm going to get you to reflect and think about maybe your everyday um, I want to play a short video, a video that we used for a conference a couple of years ago, um, and it's from a, a lady called Rosie. And Rosie, um, I won't introduce it more, she'll just tell you a little bit about herself and her story. So I'm Rosie, and I am a child of the Mance. I grew up in Ballymena and in Derry, and I went to university in Aberdeen to study history and politics. Um, After university I married Justin and I was a teacher for 12 years teaching history and politics in a grammar school. Along the way came three children, um, a boy and two girls who are now nine, seven and three. And then I did a little stint of um, training teachers at Queen's and now I am at home. For a season I am at home with the children. Um, and a big part of my life is the congregation that we go to, which is Kirkpatrick Memorial in Ballyhackamore, where I am an elder and a youth leader um, with 11 to 14 year olds. I love being with my family and being with my friends. I love socialising. I um, enjoy running and um, I enjoy going to cinema and So my front line is, there's a number of places. Firstly, there's at home with family. And then, um, since I'm at home, and I'm not exchanging my time for money, so I'm not out at work as such, all the places where I am on an everyday, with neighbours, the school, the children's friends, their families, everyone I come across on my everyday, those are my front lines. Well, there's a danger in my situation with spending a huge amount of time doing church things and increasingly I'm seeing that as being a bit dangerous because the retreat, retreating into the bubble which was how I was nearly encouraged as a child to remain in the safety of Christian circles I'm not interested in that anymore um, I do my um, elder stuff spend time in our discipleship group where we are doing our whole life discipleship we're growing together in our community. We're together on a Sunday. I do my um, stuff for the young people. And the rest of the time, I try to be embedded and involved and contributing to the life of the community, um, of which our congregation is part. Recently, in recent years, I've taken seriously the challenge that I am not here to be a well-fed, knowledgeable, with good understanding, Christian woman, and I am not merely a wife and a mother. I am here to give and to serve whoever God leads me to. Well, if you saw this house, the hours coming up to church and all the madness and all the shouting that's going on and all the laughter and all the playing and the mess and everything, it is wonderful to be sitting for 25 minutes in quiet and receiving and being fed and I think in the past I took that really seriously this is my chance to be fed changing slightly now I love the fact that I'm sitting with my church family and we're all in community and we're listening to the same stuff together and hopefully we're responding together and I I need it to be applied to the everyday Um, I don't just want the knowledge I value it when our teachers um, as they are applying, they are not talking in general principles, but they may be giving some examples and challenging us, you know, what we are doing and how we are walking, how we are living for Jesus, um, how we're using our time, what we're doing with our money, 
what we're doing with our friendship, what we're doing in our families. And I like to feel challenged to do that. And I find increasingly I'm, respond I'm responding to that. I was about 22 and I heard a sermon encouraging people present, I'm sure we were all Christians, we're mostly Christians, to live a significant life and not an important life. So to see our lives as not opportunities to be promoted, not opportunities to have importance in the eyes of the world, to earn lots of money, or to have influence in a worldly sense, but to see everything we do is significant for God, so the little things. So I was just starting teaching and I remember thinking, that liberates me from competition with my colleagues. And that conversation with a cleaner after school or that conversation over a cup of coffee in the staff room or going out for a night at the end of the week, they all are moments that God can use. Live a significant life, an unimportant life. I love a little gem from Rosie. I'd love you to take a moment to maybe reflect and just discuss with maybe one or two people around you so it's not get in the groups, but just with the people who are where you're sitting. And I'd love you to think about um, at least a couple of these questions for a few moments before I share kind of the second half of the seminar, which we'll be thinking a bit more about then how are we equipped for this life that we are, uh, or for where we are placed. So what are the opportunities where you're placed? What are the challenges? That's probably the, you know, a similar question. What are the opportunities and what are the challenges where you're placed? And then what are you noticing or where are you noticing God at work where you are placed right now? Um, have a conversation just for a few moments, and then I'll interrupt in, a, in, a, in, in two or three minutes. Okay, let me interrupt. Uh, hopefully by the buzz in the room uh, uh, during that conversation, that was hopefully helpful or liberating for you even to, to be talking about um, some of those things. Uh, I suppose the first half of this seminar maybe has sounded perhaps quite idealistic. It's great, we all have opportunities and we can live for God where we are, and that, that's how we'll reads the world, and I do believe that's true, but there's some dangers, I think, in this diagram, and danger, dangers for us to, that will be good for us to be aware of, and also to watch out for. Some of the dangers, I think, are that the red dots can begin to grey out. It's hard. It's hard to be a red dot among the grey. Um, it is probably easier and safer um, in gathered Christian environments, you know, to follow Jesus and to talk about Jesus and to express the things that you were probably expressing now, uh, just now, than for you to walk into an office on a Monday morning and do the same. In fact, it's probably not even appropriate. And so the red dots can begin to gray out. They can begin to think, well, we would just like to become like everyone else. And secondly, we become isolated on our own. It's difficult. We feel lonely. Um, we feel maybe a lack of support at times, and we can we can feel yeah, isolated in our faith. And then the third is, I think what I've hopefully been hitting on the last 20 minutes or so, is that we fail to see or we miss the significance or the importance of where we are placed. Um, the writing, writings of Leslie Newbegin um, kind of unpacks this in a, in a bit of a different way. And um, I'm trying to capture it in a diagram. These three dangers can be seen that for everyday disciples, the dangers are that we lose this, we somehow lose sight of Christ. Okay, the the red dots begin to grey out. They become so focused on the culture that they're in, rather than the Christ that they are called to serve and follow. And so somehow, um, disciples need to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. And um, another danger, the second danger, is that we would miss the importance of the church. And perhaps some of you were sitting there slightly alarmed to hear myself or even Rosie say that actually church should be less important in our week. That wasn't what was said, but that for some of you, you might be thinking, well, to be at church less, what? Or to serve God in church is a bad thing. Actually, I would argue that the need for church grows in this type of perspective, because as we see, as we live out our faith, as we as we seek to live out our faith as red dots among the gray, actually we will need the support of a Christian community even more to encourage us, to pray for us, to teach us, to challenge us, to challenge us um, and to support us in that. So Newbigin talked about the need for us to uh, 
continue to uh, be connected to Christian community and the church. And the third thing can be summarized in the word culture. Um, We fail to see the importance and where we are placed. If we let our light shine with other Christians, great. But if we fail to let our light shine before others, then they will not be seeing our good deeds and leading to that glorifying of our Father in heaven. And, and so Newbigin then went on to talk about how these three things, without these three things, if we missed one of these three part sides of the triangle or the tripod, we would then, um, there would be dangers that are associated with that. So if we lose sight of Christ, we would get lost. Um, he actually used the word liberal. Um, I like the word lost for that because I think if we lose sight of Jesus, we become uh, so swamped by our culture that we lose sight of him. If we miss out on the church, we become lonely. And if we lose sight of the culture that we're called to, our witness and our discipleship is limited. Okay, limited. I think I might have these on PowerPoint. Um, so, yeah, lost, limited, lonely, and limited. Um, and I've used the words up and out, and I'll explain that later, just as a very simple kind of um, tool or, or diagram for that. So I want to just drill down into these three dangers, I suppose, or I'm going to try and couch it in the positive now. So rather than dangers, the needs, the, the needs for us to um, be people who are equipped in our discipleship so that we can live out our whole lives as disciples wherever we find ourselves. So the first one, if you think about the up relationship and focusing and following Jesus, I think there's a need for us in our everyday, in our daily discipleship, um, for a, a need for daily growth. And to do that, I think we need to embrace spiritual disciplines. Um, remain in me, Jesus said, in, John, in his prayer that's captured in John chapter 15. Remain in me. That was his prayer one of his last prayers for his disciples, that they would remain in him. And I think that's the nature of discipleship. It's about abiding in Jesus. Above all our daily activities, whatever those things are happening where we are placed, whatever they are, above them we need to have, above our activities we need to have awareness of Jesus. Um, And a great way to and the way to continue our awareness of Jesus is to practice and embrace spiritual disciplines in our lives, to fuel that engagement. It's like fueling our engagement in the world or with the world, embracing spiritual disciplines. And the thing about disciplines, spiritual disciplines, or spiritual foundations, is that they're not very sexy, glamorous, spectacular even, but they are foundational and they are vital. So, regular rhythms and patterns of discipleship in our lives, of reading the Bible, of prayer, of worship, of solitude and silence, of allowing the Word of God and the presence of God to fuel us. We need to see these things as absolutely critical for our walk, um, for our walk as disciples. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's a, it's a good question to be thinking about or reflecting on about, I've lost my notes here, um, is about how we are doing that in our lives or how we are making space for um, spiritual disciplines, for God to speak to us and for God to challenge us um, in our lives. Um, and so to, to help with that, I've got some questions at the end, okay, um, which I'm going to give out or, or make available. And these are simply um, sets of questions um, all about up in and out that you can ask yourself or reflect on for your everyday life. And so some of the questions that are um, here for the up or, or for, the, you know, for this part is, how, am, I, am I prioritizing quality time in God's Word? Am I making quality time to, um, to pray? Do I spend time in intercession for the things that God puts in my heart? Am I knowing the joy of the Lord in my relationship with him? Those are some of the questions. Am I learning to listen and obey to God's voice? I need to not read all of them out. Uh, but, but these are some questions that you might want to take time to reflect on from time to time to fuel that life of discipleship. Um, so every day, disciples need to build daily habits and regular rhythms of devotion that help develop awareness of Jesus for our everyday life. Some examples of, of these, um, 
I set an alarm on my phone at 12 o'clock. This is very simple, by the way. These aren't, none of these are, oh my goodness, that's so dramatic. That's amazing. You'll be an amazing disciple if you do this. Uh, but just some of the ways that I, I, I've done this or tried to develop this. Um, set an alarm on my phone at 12, 12 o'clock every day. Um, choose your time. And whenever that uh, comes up, that, uh, that is an alarm that interrupts my day. That I, I'm allowing God to interrupt my day and to um, remind me to pray the Lord's Prayer. Now today, that was difficult. Okay, because at 12 o'clock, you'll, some of you will already be one step ahead. I was delivering a seminar here, okay. Um, but whenever I return to my phone, I, I will see that alarm, and I will uh, be reminded to, that God's interrupting my day. And, and usually when that alarm goes off, I pray. Um, I take one minute, stop what I'm doing. I often pray the Lord's Prayer in that moment. Um, your kingdom come, your will be done here, as it is in heaven right now in what I'm doing. Um, that's something we've been encouraging us, uh, that we've been encouraged as a church to be doing, as, a, as our, in our congregation, and it's been helpful. Just allowing God. Um, another a, a devotion that we've created within the Presbyterian Church is a devotion called Tides. It's a very simple daily devotion that pops into people's email inbox on a Monday, from Monday to a Friday at 6 a.m. in the morning, and the idea is that is to give people a regular rhythm of devotion, just a regular regular pattern, a few verses, eight to ten verses of scripture to read, a short 150-word commentary, and one way that they could reflect on that throughout their day. And again, it's just trying to fuel people for a life discipleship. There's lots of great devotions out there, okay, okay but it's that idea of a regular rhythm and pattern. I've come across things of um, where people have, um, there's apps actually, or, or there's kind of other things where um, three questions to ask around the meal table or last thing at night before bed. What are you thankful for to God today? Um, where has God been at work or where have you seen him at work? Or what are you challenged by? Those are questions that could actually be asked around a meal table as a family as well. And um, these regular patterns of spiritual discipline and devotion. And lastly, just a really good story for us as a family. A few years ago, I think it was three years ago, um, uh, we'd, uh, we were picking up Noah, our eldest. He was three at the time, uh, at the end of Sunday school or children's ministry um, in our church. And he came out rushing out of uh, children's ministry, clutching this little plastic teaspoon. And he was, seemed to be very excited about this teaspoon. And he said, I said, what's this? He says, Daddy, this is my prayer spoon. I thought, okay, that's interesting. And he uh, attached to this little teaspoon was a a note, and on the note said these three letters, T-S-P. You're probably one step ahead. Some of you children's ministry people are smiling at me, so thank you, sorry, please. And they were teaching them that morning that this is a model for prayer. Okay, not the only way to pray, but it's a model, a simple way to pray. What are you thankful for? What do you have to say sorry to God for? And what do you want to ask him for? What do you want to say please for? So that night, you know, we were putting Noah to bed. And if I'm honest, at that point in our lives, we hadn't uh, prayed uh, with Noah. Well, we prayed for him, but we hadn't, you know, helped him to be praying um, at that point of our parenting journey. And so this little three-year-old boy that night was going to bed and he held a spoon in bed. And I said, okay, son, what are you thankful for to God today? And he was really thankful that day for Thomas to thank and so was I, because it gave us half an hour of peace uh, towards the end of the day. And then I said, Noah, what do you want to say sorry to God for? And he thought for a minute, and he said, nothing. And I said, think harder, son. <laughs> you have a lot. And we need to be careful that just doesn't come, you know, the kind of rhythm of here's all the things you've done wrong today, son. Say sorry. You're saying sorry to God. But what, what do you want to say sorry to God for? We had to help him think a bit harder. And he eventually thought of something. And uh, what do you want to ask God for? And he, and he asked God for something. And I have to say, um, we, 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 we've abandoned the spoon now. He's six, okay? We don't use the spoon. We don't hold the spoon. But I would say for the next several months, if not year, he held that spoon every single night. It gave, we were resourced by our church, by our Sunday school teachers. We were resourced as a family to lead our son in devotions every night and to teach him a model of prayer. Now, sometimes it was pathetic little prayers, you know, and I really do mean that, you know, praying for ridiculous things. But over those, that time, those prayers matured, and he was gaining a model or he was grasping a model. And it's this rhythm that I'm trying to talk about, this rhythm of, every day, of daily or regular patterns of devotion. But we also need other regular patterns, and so as well as spiritual disciplines, we also need regular Christian community, regular engagement with our Christian community. Now, I'm not going to labor this point, okay, because I feel that um, 
it's something we probably we're at a Christian conference and perhaps well maybe maybe not but we so need to be regularly gathering with the local church. So please do not hear me as I, as I throw those red dot diagrams up that I am somehow diminishing the need. I am emphasizing or trying to maximize the need for church gathering as well. We need to emphasize both. We need to emphasize both gathering and scattering. And so let's not downplay the need for it. Firstly, I think two reasons um, we need, it increases the need. It increases the need for the church to gather. And secondly, I think it impacts the nature of why the church gather. So it increases the need for the church to gather because in a world that's becoming increasingly hostile to the message of Jesus, we will need the encouragement of others along the way. Running is, running is my sport. Okay? and It's often seen as pe- by people as a solo sport, but actually I've learned that there's a really powerful group dynamic to running. So running in a group helps me run faster. And it helps me run further. It's weird, but it's just true. So when I'm running in a group, I'm determined to try to stay on the heels of the runner in front of me when I'm tempted to drop back a little bit and pace myself. And I'm encouraged to run an extra mile when actually I might be tempted on my own to just cut the run short and go home. Time also passes quicker, by the way, as I chat with others that I'm running with. And I've found the same to be true in a life of discipleship. Discipleship is not a solo sport. We need others. It's a relational process, actually. And we need to take our place in Christian... As I've taken my place in Christian community, I've been encouraged by someone else's faith. I've listened to someone talk about how they're following Jesus in the midst of suffering. And I'm learning because I haven't encountered the suffering that they're talking about, but I'm learning and it's preparing me as well for the moments that that might happen in my life but I'm encouraged by listening to them follow Jesus in the midst of some of the greatest trials. I've been challenged in Christian communities. I watch people step up and serve and be sacrificial, and I'm challenged that I need to be more practical and serve others in a time of need. In community, we talk about the implications of following Jesus, where we find ourselves, and I've learned so much from the wisdom and insights of older saints uh, as they talk about their faith in Jesus. And I've also been reminded of how God is at work in ordinary ways. I love this quote. God allows various members of his body to see and experience different dimensions of his beauty. And as we share these things with others in the body, we all end up with a fuller picture than any one of us could have obtained alone. That's part of the beauty, by the way, of being in a local spirit-filled church. You see so much more of Jesus than you can alone. I think that's powerful, and I believe that. I love that being part of Christ's church helps me to know more of Jesus than I can whenever I'm alone. So how are you prioritizing the need for gathering? But it also impacts the nature of our gatherings because they become a training ground rather than the main event. They are the preparation rather than the performance. I think that's really helpful for us, to, important for us to see about what the purpose is as the church, as the saints gather. At times we will be the shop window, I guess, for people who walk in the door. But as well as that, we are to be a preparation rather than a performance, a foundation rather than a flag that we hold up. The purpose is to fill us up and send us out, to fuel us for a week of discipleship and mission on our front lines, to share examples of how God is at work in our church community. It's a vital opportunity for that. There's a need to emphasize a variety of stories and examples in our churches, not just of missionaries or full-time Christians, being prayed for, but ordinary examples of ordinary disciples seeking to live for Jesus in ordinary ways. I've used the word ordinary three times in one sentence because actually I believe we really need to recapture the ordinariness of following Jesus, of how it impacts the ordinary parts and places of our lives. In a book called Ordinary by Michael Horton, he tells a story, in fact he quotes or he, he allows a story of a, a lady who talks about her life. I want you to listen to an example of ordinary discipleship and how she needs the church community 
to feel her for life for ordinary discipleship. My life is really rich in dirty dishes these days and really short in revolutions. I have come to appreciate the community, to their lifetimes of sturdy faithfulness to Jesus, their commitment to prayer, and the tangible, beautiful generosity that they show in unremarkable ways. Each week, we average boring sinners and boring saints gather around ordinary bread and wine, and Christ himself is there with us. It never sells books. It won't be remembered, but it's what makes a life. And who knows, maybe at the end of days, a hurried prayer for an enemy, a passing kindness to a neighbor, or budget planning on a boring Thursday will be the revelation stories of God making all things new. We need to help people see themselves as disciples on the front line. Yes, those who stand at the front of church can do that, but you can model that by the questions you ask, by the interest you take in your ordinary interactions with people in your church family. As you text up, you know, text someone on a date that they have said, you know, something's happening in two weeks' time. I've seen that have a powerful effect on my wife as she has shared in a home group about something that she was worried about, an interview at school that was coming up. And someone texts her from her home group 10 days later on that date. Because she'd remembered and she prayed for her. And Sarah obviously is going in with a new lens. You know, I'm being supported and I'm prayed for by other Christians, by other people in my church family. So, and church leaders, let's make sure as well that we're sharing the ordinary stories. Um, lastly, just an example for this. This time tomorrow is a slot that lots of churches have developed on Sunday mornings, and in doing this, taken, they take five minutes in their service, five minutes in their gathering, where they show that they don't draw a dividing line between those who work in special paid Christian ministry and not. They get people up from the congregation to share, what are you doing this time tomorrow? What are the opportunities or challenges you might face in that? And how can we pray for you as a church in it? We're hearing from teachers and full-time parents. We're hearing from all sorts of people in all sorts of professions. They're hearing from teenagers at times. They're hearing from people who have no job. And they're hearing from people who have retired. And how they are seeing the significance of God in their everyday. Lastly, we're five minutes left and I want to go. I'll go quick for this last one. Going. The need for engagement in the world around us. I think I've talked a lot about this. So um, just a quote from Newbigin. He says that the primary action of the church in the world is the action of its members in their daily work. I want, to ask, I want to say that again, and I want you to think, do you really believe this? He writes, the primary action of the church in the world is the action of its members in, its, in their daily work. So the main and most significant work of your church, he argues, in the world is how the members of your church are living for Jesus day by day. I think in a changing culture, we're now recognizing that fewer people might automatically walk through the doors of our churches on a Sunday, perhaps uninvited or unexpected. And perhaps in the past, we might have relied on that, but in an increasingly secular society, we can't rely on that anymore. And there's two equal and opposite reactions to this. The first temptation is that we withdraw from the world, that we retreat into the corner. You know, we become the red dots huddled in the corner and we escape. We board up, we stay low, and we keep the peace. The other temptation, actually, is the opposite. It's to embrace the world, that we would become like everyone else around us and seek to blend in rather than stand out. And we adopt the beliefs of the culture, the dominant culture, hoping that we would be accepted by others. But the third option as disciples in the world is not to embrace the world or escape the world, but is to engage in the culture around us. And it's something we notice about Jesus is that his ministry wasn't confined to the known religious locations of his day. The miracles he performed weren't just in the synagogues, but they were in streets and they were in homes and they were in empty fishing boats and they were in grassy hillsides. And his words were shared on dusty roads and stony beaches and people encountered him at a well and in a garden and around a table. Where might God want to use you? Where might he want to use you? What places do you place your feet? And please hear me in this. How might he want to use you there? Not just how might he want to use you as a witness so that you could invite someone to come to your church so that some other professional Christian could tell them about Jesus. But how could he use you where you are to model 
what it means to follow Jesus. Greg Laurie said Jesus didn't tell the whole didn't say that the whole world should go to church. He said that the whole church should go into the whole world. And so let's not despair if the whole world doesn't come to the church, but let's be preparing ourselves as church to live well where we are. Do we see the significance of our everyday going, the need for engagement in the world around us? I'm pretty much done, but um, I have that set of questions at the front, and I was going to give it more time. I was going to give you an opportunity maybe to reflect on, on these questions, give them out, but I've also realized I've probably only photocopied about 60 copies, so uh, sorry. Um, and if you want, if you don't get any at the end, um, I'll, I'll take, uh, give you my email address, uh, and uh, I can uh, send those out to you. Um, just some sort of helpful reading on this, um, some books that have influenced me in some of these things. Um, Gathered and Scattered is a book by Neil Hudson that's brand new out actually in the last couple of months. He, um, I'm thankful for his influence actually because he's influenced a lot of what I've shared today and um, LICC have been brilliant on this whole series. Also Mark Green has a book called Fruitfulness on the Frontline and it looks at, at um, some of this as well. So Gathered and Scattered, it's really thinking about how the church can fuel um, disciples for their life when they are as they are gathered for when they are scattered. Where's God on Monday? A quote from Alistair McKenzie. Garden City, a fairly new book by John Mark Comer. Um, it's thinking about people's calling and how God is, um, calls people to different professions and, and works. And then Scattered Servants, a quote from as well by Alan Scott. Just some books that have influenced me in, in some of these areas as well. Um, let me pray for us and then we'll be done. Father, I pray that we would pick up that ancient invitation that you gave us to come follow you and that we would follow you in who you are in what you said and in what you did but also in where you went. I pray that we would see the significance of where you've placed us and I pray that as church we would be effective as scattered red dots all across the grey of our culture. I pray we would be found faithful to you, Jesus. I pray we would be committed to your bride. And I pray we would engage well as your followers wherever we find ourselves in the world. Let our light shine. Help our light to shine before others so that they may see our small, ordinary good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. That's our prayer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll leave these questions at front and Isabel may have some things to say.